Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yes, we are back in the bleachers. Bleacher Blum's coming at you. I am your host, co-host, Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran. On the other side, in the blue corner, we have got David Tuttle, the other co-host and great friend of mine. And we are very proud to tell you that this podcast, Bleacher Blum's, is brought to you by maybe Nespresso someday, as we see from uh, Tuttle's beverage of choice for this podcast, but also by World's Strongest Man, CBD. If you want performance, you want recovery, and you want focus, make sure you go to WSMCBD.com and find the product best for you. We are users in the appropriate way as far as CBD is concerned, both Puddle and I, and we greatly appreciate the partnership that we have with WSMCBD.com, and we hope that everybody else goes out there and checks it out because they've got great tinctures, they've got salves, they've got lotions, they've got balms, they've got uh, soft gels, everything to make you the elite athlete you can be. And of course, we mentioned that uh, Tuttle's in the blue corner. I'm in the red corner. I thought it was appropriate because you're in the blue state. I've got the red state. And this is the campaign everybody needs to get behind. The Bleacher Blums campaign. You can go to bleacherblums.com, find what color you want, get yours and represent when you're voting. And you can go to crushcdts.com. Super soft, love it, lightweight, kind of makes me look jacked a little bit, but you look good, Tuttle. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. Good read, Blummer. Uh, yeah, we're really thankful for World's Strongest Man CBD. Uh, I'm, I'm a gel and salve person, but uh, getting into the tinctures before bed and uh, been feeling good. But uh, yeah, everything's going well. I got girls back at school today. We're still yeah. kind of hit or miss. So they've been back for a couple of weeks, but uh, I just realized it's easier to do the podcast and the house is much quieter when uh, <laughs> when the kids are where they're supposed to be, right? They're at school. Yeah. So, uh, so life's good, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, no, no complaints and no, uh, no, uh, no exciting news, which in the year of 2020, that's probably a pretty damn good thing. Yeah, yeah that's pretty bold news. That's great to hear that actually things are going <laughs> good and the kids are back in school. Uh, What's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold's going to bring you, obviously, the championship series are over and the World Series has begun. And we know that by the time you are listening to this podcast, it may be actually game three. So we're going to do our best to recap a little bit of game one, give you some ideas of maybe about the series between both the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Some thoughts on that. Kershaw will be mixed in there. I'm sure we'll talk about Glass now. He's one of those guys that you talked about last podcast Tuttle is just a freak that continues to throw 100 miles an hour with a gnarly bender uh, getting those in there. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about Mookie Betts. I've uh, got a question about tacos that we'll talk about uh, because of the World Series. And I don't know if you saw it. I know a lot of fans here in Houston saw it and around uh, the country. If you're paying close enough attention to sign stealing and scandals, Jeff Luno had an interview and oh boy, Blum's Blast is going to feature a rivalry like no other. Please stick around for that. Please stick around for that. Tuttle, the World Series has started. What's up? That's a teaser, everybody. Teaser. Oh, yeah. You you want to stick around for that because there's a huge rivalry coming up this weekend that you desperately need to know about. And uh, it's going to involve two incredibly 
intense foes. Let's just say that. Um, But uh, the World Series, were you surprised that the Dodgers got in or the Rays got in? What are your feelings about after what feelings of the teams in it? And then what are your feelings about game one since you saw them so far? Yeah, I appreciate you asking me that. I think um, I said this to you first thing off air because we I don't bring a lot of stats. As a matter of fact, I think I got a few laughs about my uh, G-Man Choi Ho Chi Minh uh, error last podcast. <laughs> so the statistic I have to bring to everybody is there were two teams, uh, one from the National League and one from the American League that had the best record in their division throughout the 60-game season. Yeah, can you believe it? It was the... LA Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. So, I mean, you know, hopefully we kind of keep perspective there. I mean, I do believe we always say pitching and defense and experience means a ton. And so when the Astros kind of gave certainly the Houstonians and probably the rest of the country, a little scare or a little hope, um, remember they were 29 and 30 or 29 and 31 heading into the playoffs. Yes. They found um, some of their experience and their um, uh, ability to hit when the playoffs came down to it, but you know, ultimately uh, pitching and defense wins championships and they didn't have enough in the bullpen. And I think the teams with the best records and the deepest pitching staffs and the deepest lineups made it. So uh, I think it's kind of what's supposed to happen. Could the Braves have been there? Absolutely. Um, You already brought up Mookie Betts. I know we'll talk about him later, made some fantastic plays and just an all around, I think baseball more than any sport. We've talked Mm -hmm. about this, like LeBron James or Michael Jordan can take over a game. Baseball is a really difficult game to take over unless you're a dominant pitcher, which is why Verlander and Cole and guys like that are so valuable. But man, I mean, you know, Mookie Betts certainly shines among uh, elite athletes on the baseball field. And uh, oh man, yeah, I mean, we, how surprised can we be? I mean, I know uh, you had a little <laughs> more skin in the game for the Astros and we had TK on, but uh, give me your thoughts as well, Blummer. I mean, you can't be that surprised that these two teams are in the World Series. No, and you know what? It's actually, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that they do have the two best records because one of the things we talked about in the expanded playoff situation was that a team like the Astros could have almost, literally almost found themselves in the World Series with a 29 and 31 record. And I think that is one of, it's probably, it is my biggest fear, even if it is the Astros, of having a team that's in the postseason, sub 500 record, kind of limps in there, sneaks in, whatever you want to call it in that last two or three spots. And then they find themselves in the World Series and go out and get smoked or they end up winning and beating a team that has a much better record. And then you're kind of going, was that really worth it? Did we actually see who the best team was? And luckily, you know, Rob Manfred, to to uh, his luckiness, has the two best teams in the National League and American League in there. The Dodgers, hands, hands down, are one of the better teams that we have seen in all of the game, let alone in 2020. I just think that it is unique that in 2020, a shortened season really benefits them because it keeps these teams fresh. It keeps guys uh, from being fatigued like we normally see in postseason situations. And that's probably one of the first things I want to talk about uh, before we get to, you know, a little bit about the Tampa Bay Rays, who are the best team in the American League and deserve to get there. But talking about Clayton Kershaw specifically is – I can't believe how often the West Coast media and national media turns this guy into a victim. Oh, he gets roughed up in the postseason. Oh, but the Astros in 2017. The dude has great numbers. He has workable numbers because he's lost. Or you look at the win-loss record, him being 12 and 12 now, I think. And you're going, oh, he should be better. Should he? 
This guy is pitched like a Hall of Famer in the regular season, gets a little bit fatigued, doesn't have his best stuff in the postseason, facing the best teams in baseball, and he gets hit around. So I'm not – I don't actually make him a victim. I just make him a victim of playing against good teams at a time when he's fatigued. That stuff happens every once in a while, but we have seen flashes of brilliance like we saw in game one. But one of the interesting things about uh, Clayton Kershaw that I think is really benefiting him and why he's had a very good postseason and why he's had a very good uh, start to the World Series in game one, how many starts, you'll know this because you're a pitcher, how many starts throughout the course of a 162-game season do starting pitchers normally make if they're healthy all the way through the season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, upwards of 30, right? You're looking at like 30 to 35 starts yes. for your big courses, for sure. Guess what numbers start overall, including the regular season and postseason, game one. Guess what number start that was for Clayton Kershaw this season? Uh, I'm going to say 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, just doing the math. You're, you're damn close. It's <laughs> actually 13. Oh, so, less. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't I actually crazy? gave him a little, yeah. I mean, yeah. 13 starts. That- that was his 13th start of 2020. So I think that's where you really benefit from not playing a full season, especially he's older, a little long in the tooth, played in a lot of postseasons, but now you get him in an abbreviated spot where he's halfway through the season, probably feeling pretty good about himself. And he looked great last night. He did. And I think what's funny, I mean, if you hear like Tim Kirchin and some of the other talking heads, I mean, they have all the statistics to back it up, which is great. And I don't know if they participate in the, uh, kind of the dialogue or the diatribe that's around Kershaw is a great regular season pitcher, but doesn't have it in the playoffs. I mean, you know, somebody posts on Twitter today, you know, he has more, you know, lowest DRA uh, in the postseason ever, um, you know, lower than Bob Feller, you know, more K's per nine innings than any other pitcher. I mean, he has all the statistics. What I remember, and this is just what the eyeball test says is Kershaw would go five scoreless innings and then they would leave him in there a little bit too long and give up four runs in the sixth inning, and they lose four to two, and they're like, ah, Kershaw doesn't have it anymore. That's a lot different than starting the game and getting shellacked, you know, two runs in the first inning and four runs in the second and can't make it out of the third. That's a lot different style. And so I think we really need to check ourselves if we're going to say that Clayton Kershaw, who has definitely earned um, Hall of Fame credentials in the regular season, um, is just not a Hall of Fame guy when you start looking at how often they played in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think last year, we can go back to podcasts like 50 or something like that. We're almost to 100. Uh, we talked about the Nationals. I mean, I think Dave Roberts knew that he was going to take him out after he faced the lefty. Um, he took him out and then had him go back out again for the next inning, gave up a hit, and then we knew he was coming out, and he left him in Good one point. more hitter and gave up the home run. It's kind of like – you know, that was, that was like, we talk about putting your best players in that position to succeed as well. And I think, so take what I just said about how his, his um, script has been written in the postseason so far. And then you add last year to it. I mean, I think it's a little unfair to him. And I think definitely last night will hope kind of change the narrative on that. And he should be, you know, kind of well back on his way, writing that shift to being a, um, a consensus hall of fame pitcher. Yeah, I completely agree. And I appreciate the angle that you always bring. It's always a different perspective that maybe not a lot of us are looking at. And I think that's a good point. You do have, you know, there's certain points. And actually what you talked about last year when he pitched against the Nationals and then you fast forward to that game one where he came, he came out an inning after they put up that big number. And I think that's where Dave Roberts did a very good job in saying, okay, we got him as far as we could. We got him the big lead. He dealt. 
Now we're just going to get him out of there. He's going to feel great about himself and use that for his next start. Even at his age and his, at his experience, that goes a long way. And uh, obviously he gets to read all the press clippings and hear everybody say great things about him. Well, and couple that with what you said about uh, his 13th start of the year. I mean, gosh, your 13th <laughs> start of the year is about a third of the way through the season typically, or maybe just yeah. before halfway through the season. And, you know, he's feeling good. You know, he's feeling good. He is feeling good. And what he did is he actually created a lot of swings and misses. And this is where I want to hit on the Tampa Bay Rays a little bit and talk about them and maybe ask you a question too regarding their offense, because they looked flat last night in game one. And that might be my biggest concern, especially coming into the series, because we saw them play phenomenal defense uh, all the way through the uh, playoffs, uh, especially against the Houston Astros. Their GPS was lined up. Guys were making great plays. And a lot of it was because their pitching was doing a very good job. And I think that's where they match up with the Dodgers as far as pitching and defense. It's the offense where the Dodgers are the clear-cut favorite. We saw it in game one. You're going to see it in other games, too. But at the same time, I really feel like, you know, they neutralized a Rosarena. Uh, you know, Manuel Margot gets a base hit. Uh, Brandon Lau is still scuffling a little bit. And uh, I was actually pretty curious to see Joey Wendell starting at third base instead of Brassau. Uh, you know, there's some certain moves in there that I was a little curious about. But at the same time, everybody on Twitter and social media and all, you know, John Smoltz, look at the swings and misses he's creating. Swing and miss, swing and miss, swing. And I'm going, duh, dude, the, the Tampa Bay Rays swing and miss. They led. Let me make sure I get this right again. I did some note taking nice. during the regular season in all of baseball. Guess who led in strikeouts? Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, there you go. 608 strikeouts in the regular season, most in all of baseball. They live and die with the three true outcome. They walk, they hit home runs, and they strike out. That's how they get there. And I think they may have gotten a little, little uh, what is it, delusions of grandeur in facing the Astros saying, oh, look at us. We can lean back and hit the three-run home run and come back from behind or take a big lead on the big home run. Because guess what? The Astros pitching was good. Maybe, but not as good as the Dodgers, man. I think that they need to make an adjustment if they're going to compete offensively against this Dodgers rotation and bullpen, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, the Dodgers are certainly the best team in baseball uh, right now on paper. Um, they have three former MVPs in one lineup, which is the first <laughs> that's time right. that's happened, right? So you have Bellinger, Betts, and um, and uh, who's the third one? Why am I blanking out? I don't know. Kershaw? Do you know? Mm, Kershaw was an MVP. I don't know. Anyway, Corey Seager may be one this year. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, Bellinger, Betts, and Kershaw, three former MVPs. The last time that's happened since the Big Red Machine. So Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, uh, Pete Rose, somewhere like that. So how about that? I bring a statistic every once in a while. But I'm just saying, you know, they, they are definitely the team. But I, I would agree with you. I mean, the statistics don't lie. And I don't know if they felt like they could come back or not. But I, I mean – you know, you look at a Rosarena who is hot. Guess what the Dodgers aren't going to do? They're not going to let that guy beat him. And I think as much as we love Anoli Canoli and, uh, you know, uh, all these guys that came out of the bullpen for the, uh, for the Astros and because the lineup was playing well um, and getting some runs and the confidence was high, I mean, it's just not the same facing the Dodgers, uh, the Dodgers staff. So I just think, you know, it's – Potato, potato, right? We're talking about yeah. we're talking about the 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 same thing, but the, a different thing. Which is, 
the Tampa Bay Rays are not the LA Dodgers. And I, I think after we watched last night, I mean, that doesn't mean it won't go six or seven games, mm-hmm. but I mean, if the Dodgers can put their foot on their throat tonight, I believe, uh, I believe the Rays are going to be in trouble. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not the same thing, as you said, it's not the yeah. same thing as uh, facing, facing the Dodgers bullpen. So, yep. And uh, we saw a little bit of the Rays bullpen yesterday after they came in uh, behind glass now. And I don't know how much of that game you watched, but I was watching very curiously when I started to see glass now get to, you know, a hundred pitches and then he ends up with a hundred plus 110 plus pitchers. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden they're going old school. They just took Charlie Morton out of game seven in the ALCS after throwing, I think like 80 pitches or something like that in the sixth inning. And here they are riding glass now for, uh, for the rest of the game at 110 plus pitches. And I was shocked. And there was actually a tweet going out there by like ESPN sports or whatever it was and said, you know, that's the first time a Rays pitcher threw at least 110 pitches in a game all season. Yeah. First time. That's crazy. I know. And last year in a full season only happened one time last year also. So they kind of went against themselves as an organization. And yeah. I don't know, uh, he, he looked like he started to fatigue. The pitches started to end up. But were you shocked at all but to see that uh, Kevin Cash and the Rays let him out there that long? Because that was that big inning that the Dodgers had. They finally got to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw he had, you know, eight punch outs and six walks. I mean, that's never a recipe for success. But I uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been criticizing Cash for like when he took Snell out or when he took, you know, Morton out and he was yeah, doing he it two, really quickly. The, yep. And maybe he was trying to, you know, maybe he was trying to kind of ride that a little bit longer to see if he could get out. But I think there was a point there where you're like, all right, you know, he doesn't have the stuff. He's throwing 100 at the bottom of the zone. And, you know, the surprising thing really was, you know, again, the eyeball test, we can look at all the analytics that we want, but the eyeball test yeah. told me that the Dodgers were seeing the ball. I mean, Taylor had some takes down at the bottom of the zone. Yes. I mean, they just look like, and sometimes that's just confidence, but even Kike, I mean, dude, his, his last two at bats that we've seen in the playoffs, his mm-hmm. pinch hit at bats are just money. I mean, like he is locked in and the pitcher is, you know, I mean, it, it was funny to watch the pitch from behind. They showed it. I mean, he's like on the dish, like ready. And he's just, you know, he's just hooking stuff like he (laughs) no fear, like they had no fear. And I think that's a dangerous recipe, right? Like when the pitcher has to kind of groove one and, you know, I mean, I think Bellinger, the ball he hit, I think that was like a 98 mile an hour fastball. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like it was a meatball down the middle. So it's, it, it was a little surprising to see Glasnow go that far. Um, and maybe again, we don't, sometimes don't know the behind the scenes, which is cash mm-hmm. knowing who's available, who's not. Yeah, the I mean, we only have one day rest, rest and they, yeah. yeah, they use that whole Great point. Bullpen. So, I mean, who knows, man, but it, yeah, funny. Well, you mentioned Kershaw's 13th start of the year. Hey, now it's time to get into, we're going to throw you 110, 120 pitches, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the world. Maybe that was the thought. Who like knows? Build up. Yeah, right. that's, that was a good call. Um, you mentioned it earlier when we started this segment talking about uh, the World Series that there was a certain guy out there in right field for the Dodgers uh, making great plays in the World Series had himself a great start to the World Series but it was actually a play in the ALCS or the NLCS that may have been the the determining play of this postseason for the Dodgers and actually propelled them into the World Series but uh, I want to have you talk about that a little bit and maybe the significance of it but at this, so go ahead and talk about that because I don't want to pop off just yet because I've got yeah, yeah. something that uh, may 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 piss off some Red Sox fans. <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, well, I, I know what we talked about. And basically what I said is I felt like, I mean, Mookie Betts saved Dave Roberts' job. And, you know, many, maybe many people would not, I mean, we love Dave, but many people would not, I'm not saying many people wouldn't say that, but maybe we didn't think about that uh, in those terms. But the Dodgers, you know, having won eight straight NL West pennants, um, having been to three out of the last four World Series, uh, they thought Dave might go down, you know, last year, or the year before, as they didn't reach the pinnacle of the sport um, last year, especially when the Nationals had yeah. beat them. But uh, boy, Mookie Betts making that play and then Bellinger hitting the run to put them up and getting him to the World Series, you know, just kind of saved his job for another day, possibly another year. And and after watching last night, I mean, I, I mean, I just have a really hard time having been in the clubhouse as you have like that momentum. I mean, it's just got to be at an all time high. And I have a really more so even than the Braves or watching the Astros race series because Astros almost got in. Uh, sometimes it's matchups. And I just feel like the mm -hmm. Dodgers match up really well against the Rays. If this was an Astros Dodgers World Series, it would be a whole different animal, even though the record for the Astros wasn't there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to say Mookie Betts saved DR's job, probably Doc's job. And the other thing that we just talked about was the fact that, um, that Mookie Betts is a, a kind of a shining light, even on a field full of 18, uh, 18 superstars. Like he can really uh, separate himself. He just impressive. Oh, the he other was. thing I want to bring up, because Mick, oh, what do you Hold on a second. I'll be right back. Keep talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll just keep on rambling. Um, well, the other thing I wanted to say, Blummer, was that uh, I believe that, um, let's see, yesterday, let's see. Oh, the, the thing that I like about the what they're doing is they ask Smoltz too, but the science of it. So last night when uh, Mookie Betts hit the home run after the beginning, he let off the next inning with a home run. I think it was 5-1. Then he hit the home run, made it 6-1. And mm -hmm. Smoltz is like, I know you want to know, folks, would that have been out of Dodger Stadium? It was 351 <laughs> yeah. feet with the wind blowing, blah, blah, blah. I love that. I actually, I wish they were playing somewhere else. I mean, I think the home field advantage, everybody wants to know. And that's another point that we were going to talk about, that they're oh, playing yeah. all their games there. But uh, but I thought that was really funny to know, like, oh, yeah, that ball that Betts hit would have certainly been out of uh, Dodger Stadium. And we know it would have been out of uh, Fenway Park, which kind of leads you to your point. So. Yeah, no, that's that's what's a lot of fun. I do like those analytics, especially when we're playing in Minute Maid Park and, you know, Alex Bregman wears out that Crawford box and we go, that was a home run in one ballpark and we're playing in it. You know, so it always <laughs> makes it interesting for fodder as far as, you know, this guy actually manipulating his swing for the ballpark. I think it's great, but it also it's good to, you know, because we can talk about that now because there's supposedly a neutral site. But before we hit on that, I want to stay on Mookie and talk about it a little bit and, are the Boston Red Sox the biggest idiots ever, or are they just going to go out and sign the world after letting this guy go? Because you've got to remember, they traded Mookie Betts, maybe because they didn't think they could afford him, but they also sent David Price, who's opted out of the 2020 season, who had a hefty price tag on him. So they cut two very big salaries. But one, why did you trade Mookie Betts? Because it's pretty obvious he's a phenomenal talent. And two, could this be? the second curse the Red Sox have to deal with in their franchise history. Well, only time will tell regarding that. But, uh, but as I already mentioned, you know, uh, the Dodgers have three MVPs on the field in, in on one team and mm -hmm. the Rays do not have that. And, you know, the Red Sox should be watching uh, either with their mouth agape or with jealousy or like, you know, or the old, uh, 
Chris Farley when he gets mad at himself, you know? God, answer that question. Like, yeah, they just, you know. Remember when he did his own? You remember when he did the show? The, the yeah. Oh, yeah, Paul McCartney. Remember? So remember stupid. Paul McCartney? Remember when you were in the Beatles? Uh, it was yeah, awesome. I remember I was in the Beatles. That was awesome, you know? <laughs> But uh, but I mean seriously, I, I don't know. Is it Dave Dombrowski that made the trades and then left, and then they fired him, or did they fire him before? I can't like remember. I think yeah, Dombrowski it gets too was puzzling. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so just, much over, you know, turnover yeah. in these organizations. Yeah. So anyway, but I'm sure they're a little little envious that Mookie Betts is playing in the playoffs and doing what he's doing. But man, he's impressive, and he's not a huge guy, which I guess yeah. that's what everybody always thinks. But his arm is mm. unbelievable some of those throws he makes too are oh yeah pretty incredible and his baseball awareness that great uh, going on contact at third base um and oh yeah, yeah. He, he's a he can bowl a 300 if you need him to too so i mean this guy is just <laughs> multi-talented which is Does a lot of fun to watch six, six tool player yeah hell yeah before yeah yeah there's bowl probably some other things he does really good that we don't know about he could be a 10 tool guy for all he we know dunk dunk a basketball they talked about him dunking a there basketball, you go you know, yeah he, so. he does it all man probably switch hit if you wanted him to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why not uh but you brought up a good point it, you know the uh, the tampa bay rays came out of the western uh portion of uh, america when they played in the uh division series and championship series in san diego and now they're playing in arlington where the dodgers have played since october 6th so once they won their series against the Milwaukee Brewers in Dodger Stadium, they were shipped into Texas and were actually in Arlington where they have played the division series, the championship series, and are now the home team for the World Series. And that's, that comes out to 11 games currently uh, as far uh, up to game one in the World Series that they have played in Arlington. I think it is a little bit of an advantage in this weird COVID era bubble system that we're in in 2020. I think it definitely benefits them to be maybe in one hotel room and maybe in one clubhouse. They're accustomed to it. They know the route to the clubhouse. They know the route to the food room. They know how to get on the field and you know navigate those types of things. So I think it actually does help, but I don't know how much just because they're such a good team anyways. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I guess the Dodgers have the best record in baseball or the race. Um, I think 40 and 20. Yeah. 40 and Dodgers. 20. I'd have to go back and uh, hold on yeah. a sec. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was going no, to I can actually up. look it up. I'm, I'm connected to the internet for the most part. All right. And yeah, the Dodgers had a better record at 43 and 17. So to me, this is one of those weird things and I don't like the Dodgers. Everybody knows, but, uh, I almost think it's fair, you know. It's like you know what they came out; they were the they were the preeminent favorites, and it's like forty three and seventeen. If they get a little advantage, I mean, because you know darn well they would have an advantage in Dodger Stadium. But if they were at Tampa for a couple games, you know, that would be you know hit or miss. But I think as neutral sites go, giving the Dodgers a little more comfort and a little more um, I don't know peace of mind. I mean, what are they playing for anyway, right? It's better than Bud Selig saying, "Hey, the All Star Game is going to determine the outcome of who gets home field advantage." Like, let's Bud use the Seeley. best record as the marker, and uh, and I think the Dodgers, you know, they earn they earn the right to know where the food room is and sleep in their same bed for you know away from their families, regardless. But uh, uh, for an extra week or two, yeah, um, than the race. So <laughs> I think it, you know, I, I I don't see a whole lot there. I do agree with you that. Although there is no real home field advantage this year, that certainly probably plays a, a, a small factor. 
that and the fact that they have three MVPs and the fact that they are the preeminent Best record ever. They have a better yeah. team. And, yeah. So anyway, but yes, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't throw a whole lot of, you know, um, I don't know, weight into that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think about because it is yeah. interesting that they did start in the place that they're going to finish. But uh, at the same time, how much of an advantage is it really? I think the, the big advantage to be honest with you is, uh, is the fact that both teams don't have to go from L.A. to Tampa Bay. That would be a hellish flight to uh, do oh, in between games and to try and create this series and complete it. So I think that they're both very uh, happy and beneficial about that. And uh, you know what? Throughout the course of this series, uh, we know that Taco Bell encourages base stealing. And with the first stolen base Mookie Betts had last night, he got everybody free tacos. I have not partaken in mine because I'm not sure – because I think the only thing – the only, the only taco in Taco Bell might be in the name. I'm not sure if those are real tacos or not. So <laughs> be careful when you go out there and get your free tacos. But uh, am I wrong? I, taco Bell, I haven't been to in over 10 years. Sorry, Taco Bell. I went to Taco Bell uh, about 1 a.m., 2 a.m. on a few Friday or Saturday nights. But, yeah, it could, have, uh, it could have been dirt inside the tortilla yeah, and I would have eaten right. it at that dirt. time. Can I get sour cream? Can I get a little sour cream on that dirt? That's, oh, this is so good. Oh, but man. Uh, yeah, so that's a little, yeah, that's what they do. They're taking the dirt from the field, the actual Arlington dirt. <laughs> get get part of the warning track in your taco. Yeah, yeah. Can I get a little salsa? A little more, it's a little dry. Can I get a little <laughs> yeah, more salsa seriously. here? But yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, it's a great promotion, right? Marketing is marketing, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm running to Taco Bell to get my free taco today. But here's my question. And I'm not sure how closely you were watching the game or if you saw it when he stole the bag. Glassnow's on the, on the mound. I want to take Glassnow out and I want to put David Tuttle in. You're pitching in the World Series, first game. Mookie Betts is on first, steals second base, moves himself into scoring position. You get the ball back from the shortstop. Adamus, Willie Adamus, who understands that tacos have been won, gives Mookie Betts a man hug, bro hug, right there on the field in the middle of the game. You're not How's... happy about that. Okay, thank you. Thank... Could you could you explore that a little bit more? Because sure. I saw I will... that and I went. Yeah. I mean, that's we've talked about kangaroo court on here before, but that's um... – that's a little steeper than kangaroo court in the sense that if the GM sees that or somebody else sees that, I mean, that might be a black eye in the clubhouse. Like if, mm. if glass now is a little red ass, then he's like, Hey, I'm struggling <laughs> through that inning. Yeah. Like that might be like, Hey, Adamus has a little welt under his eye today. They're like, Hey, what, what, what's on? Well, mm -hmm. eh, just a little clubhouse uh, policing last night. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because we've been, I have. Why is that okay so these days? No, I don't know, but that's what I said. So I've been get off my lawn guy on this podcast yeah. much more so than you have, but there are just certain things like, I mean, even in like a seven game series where you see LeBron and he's playing, you know, against the heat and Butler and he showed him respect in the, um, in the paper by saying, dude, Jimmy Butler is a man and he's really hard to defend and da -da -da. they don't come out and dap before the game and shoot shots to get like when the championship's over, then they give a hug. It's like hockey, right? Hockey, yeah. man, those guys knock each other's teeth out. They break noses and then they do the handshake. Yes. After. That's just, that's it. That, I mean, is this another unwritten rule that we're going to have to defend? Like, I know there's other get off our lawn guys. And I don't know if the young folks agree with this. Um, you know, I'm coming around even on some of the bat flipping and now with mm -hmm. COVID, like, I love how the guys walk down the first baseline if they're, if they're dug out, they're, you know, talking to their dugout. Yeah. It's kind of funny. They're not really showing up the pitcher. 
they're enjoying the moment with their team. Um, I mean, who knew I would ever say that after, you know, giving up a bomb. Yeah, because, it's growing on me too. I'm kind of enjoying yeah, it too, man. Because I had a uh, uh, Dave McCarty moment last night when Bellinger was uh, facing the lefty after he'd already homered. Mm. And he took a huge hack down to his knee and he missed it yeah, off the end of his bat. And then he took another huge hack and popped it straight up. And you could hear him like, ah, ah, you know, yeah. I'd be on the mound like, dude, you, you know, missed it, run down it. to first base, like get out. Like, <laughs> so that stuff I don't like still. I'm like, beat it. Hey, I'm throwing you a 70 mile change up. Take it or leave it. You know, you mm -hmm. can't, you can't stay back. You can't hit my stuff. Like deal with it. Like, don't, don't, this isn't a show out here. When you hit one, you know, 500 feet, like you did the first inning. Great. Celebrate with your team. So all that yeah. to be said. Willie Adamas should not be hugging other guys on the team, even if he like played winter ball with him in Puerto Rico or he's his brother or it's just not appropriate. I mean, not appropriate just from your team standpoint, but even from a fan standpoint, like how hard is Willie Adamas going to slide into, you know, second base if Mookie Betts mm -hmm. is playing there or vice versa. Like, I mean, these, this is, this is for the, all the marbles plumber. So it is. you have, I know you have some thoughts on that. What, yeah. Here's a better question. I'm, I'm not very good at asking you questions. I just ramble on. What would Bruce Bochy do? Bochy was your manager. Or or who was your manager with the White Sox? Uh, Guillen. Ozzie Ozzie Guillen. What would either of those out. guys do, maybe publicly or privately? Tell us what they would do if you were playing short and they stole, you know, free taco like you bro hug oh, some man. guy. Tell me what that conversation's like. Well, I'll tell you right now, Mark Burley wouldn't be happy with me. Uh, uh, dude, uh, Jose Contreras wouldn't be happy with me. El Duque wouldn't be happy. With me. There's plenty of guys that wouldn't be happy with me. I, you know, and I think that, you know, you kind of hit it with the before and after. You know, before you're getting loose, run out there, give him a bro hug behind second base. But don't give him a hug because he won freaking tacos. Are you kidding me? That's what blew me away. The situation was ridiculous to give a guy a hug in. You know, and then after the game, you see him in the tunnel or you want to go give him a, a high five like we see in football and do it. You know, Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas a little before the game. And then you go out and play and try and beat the hell out of each other. But there's no yeah. way you see that during the game. That's the only thing that got me was from the first inning to the or from the first out to the last out. We're trying to beat your brains in. You could go over and kick the bag and be like, hey, man, thanks for getting us tacos. But don't go over there and go, oh, man, dude, I'm so happy you got us tacos give me a break. Yeah. That, that got me. And I, the, but that was my first instinct was, Oh my gosh, if I'm glass now, I'm pissed. I'm like, why is this guy hugging a guy that just stole a base on me? Yeah. That, oh. I, I mean, I'm speechless in that regard. And the more you bring it up now and the further removed we are from actually our playing days, I, you know, I'll play basketball on the weekends with my buddies and, you know, you might not see him for two weeks. You show up at the gym on Sunday morning, you're stretching out, putting your shoes on and, like I pretty much know it's the same 20 guys that show up every mm -hmm. weekend. I know who I'm going to have to guard and he knows that he's going to have to guard me. And we're like, Hey brother, how's it going? And then for three games, you're like knocking each other down. You might foul them a few times. Like there is no love lost. And these are guys that like, you're going to have coffee with after. And then mm -hmm. after you, you know, you give them some knuckles or dap them up, like you said, and you're done. That's on the weekend with guys that I've known for 20 years, like guys <laughs> I go to Vegas with, like, this isn't some dude, like, and let's be real. I mean, the money these guys are making is people love to talk about when the hell is Willie Adamas ever going to go cash in a free taco? <laughs> like he could give two shits about getting a free taco at Taco Bell. Exactly. He was just, like you said, it was just inappropriate. And, uh, you know, I'd be more, like you said, your teammates wouldn't be happy with you. And maybe that's how the managers would handle it. But I mean, 
I guess I don't know. Would Bochi like yank you out of the game or something? Like I, oh, I he'd pull I, me off I the just, side. I know for a fact, manager, yeah. a manager would pull me off the side. I've you know you see it every once in a while. Where yeah, but it's like, just dude, you we're just... not going to do that during the game. We're trying to beat them after the game. Do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, dude, but uh, that's going to that'll do it for the uh, World Series uh, talking again. Uh, we've only seen Game One. By the time you hear this, it will probably be in the middle of Game Three. So enjoy the World Series. I think the Dodgers are going to do very well in this World Series, eventually winning it, and uh, Dave Roberts will be content with that. The Dodgers will have to be content with a 60-game season and a World Series championship. But uh, you got any thoughts on that? I don't think you're going to really vary too much from that. No, I mean, no asterisks. I mean, this is, this yeah. is what the no, rules said, are this year. No, I said that year. a long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. This is what the rules are. This is what we're playing by this year. The Dodgers, on paper, look like the best team. And I think we touched on this a bunch, which was, hey, the sprint, the short season is going to help these stacked teams. And, yeah. you know, that just brings us full circle to the beginning when you said this is Kershaw's 13th start. He might get a 14th or a 15th, but a 15th start season to hoist the trophy is, uh, is you know, is totally mm -hmm. beneficial to the Dodgers and, and, you know, more power to them if they can pull it off. Yeah. And some interesting news here in Houston was recently that Jeff Luno, the uh, fired GM, uh, you know, the vilified GM of the Houston Astros who built this ball club into a world championship team and was probably cheering his brains out for this ball club to go as far as it could in 2020, because this is still his team as far as the personnel he's put on the, uh, on the, on the, on the playing field. But after the Astros were knocked out, he actually had a interview here locally on KPRC two and, uh, for the first time spoke out about the allegations about the scandal and uh, his improprieties. And just to kind of narrow it down and give a brief synopsis, I don't know if you saw it, Tuttle, but he said, I did not know what was going on. I was not privy to the information uh, regarding sign stealing was being uh, exchanged with him. He says there's plenty of evidence, basically 22,000 texts between uh, uh, video room and dugout personnel, whether it be coaches or staff. And he had no idea what was going on to the point where he even quoted one of the texts saying, please don't tell Jeff. And obviously that is referring to Jeff Luno, the GM at the time. And then uh, he had some other various comments throughout there. But in hearing that, I wanted, you know, part of me believes him, part of me doesn't because, and the biggest thing for me is, is I never had an issue with Jeff Luno. I always had great conversations with him. I do not speak to him to, the, to this day, though if I did see him, I probably would have a pretty healthy conversation because uh, off camera, I wouldn't have it on camera just because there's things that I want to know. And I'm sure that uh, he'd, he'd probably want to say some things to me just because we have a, friends, a friendship, uh, even though it may be more business than it might be personal. But at the same time, you know, when I'm listening to him, it sounded sincere. Uh, it, it did sound somewhat believable. He didn't name names. He didn't produce actual evidence, you know, throughout the course of it, like if we were in court and law saying, oh, this is the document that proves me innocent. So there's still a lot of uh, opinion as far as that's concerned. But the thing that caught me and the more I thought about it was, is how frustrating it had to be for him to build something as great as he did and sacrifice so much, both personally, professionally, in the media, and then have it stained by this cheating scandal um, has got to be extremely painful. And I think that's what I saw more throughout the course of that interview was the pain of knowing that he put together probably one of the better teams of all time. And he did it 
through the draft. He did it through trades. He did it on the waiver wire and he did it uh, in free agency. And now all of his pride has been taken from him. But any thoughts on Jeff Luno and and the situation and him coming out and speaking finally? Uh, no, not a whole lot. I, I saw that he somebody was tweeting out. Obviously, we have quite a few Houston followers um, and they were tweeting out that he had this interview on a local station. So I wasn't able to watch it. I'm sure they put the whole interview up somewhere um i would have to see it to like you said i mean it's that eyeball test again that i love you know whether he's telling the truth yeah, or not but yeah you know i i think what we said before and and you know throwing other people under the bus which i felt like he did right when it came out saying you know um i don't know i mean he he had said a few things deeper than you know i didn't know what was going on because that's one thing to say i didn't know what was going on but to say i didn't know what was going on but everybody else did is um you know probably a little um I don't know, not as classy as you could be in that role. And I would just say that, you know, I think we said this at the beginning, the buck stops here. So, and, and, and I think that's what it sounds like what he did in the interview is that he didn't just throw stones. He basically said, you know what? I realized that all this thing I built, what you just talked about um, uh, was successful. And, you know, there were a lot of good things out of it, but maybe I should have known and maybe I should have um, had my ear to the ground a little more effectively. And I, and I want to say one more thing before, you know, I'll let you finish about Luno. I went golfing on Saturday with some buddies that I used to play baseball with it in college and, um, and no skin in the game at all. One of my buddies, no skin in the game at all, just said, I want the Astros to win. This was before game seven against the Rays. Um, I want the Astros to win it all and be able to turn around and smile. And he's like, because, we've been trying to steal signs. This was a good college hitter, a 350 hitter in college. <laughs> He's like, we've been trying to steal signs since the beginning of time, brother. Like, I mean, this yeah. is nothing new. Every team's doing it. Now the videography and like, let's get into the semantics, but you tell me a team you've been on. This is actually kind of back to you that hasn't tried to steal signs. And I'll, I will show you a team that's not winning. <laughs> yeah. There are the jerseys back there. I mean, and I thought it was a great point. So I know we want to finish up with Luno, Luno, but that is a really healthy point. And I was like, there's a guy who has no skin in the game. He doesn't even listen to our podcast. He's an old buddy of mine. And he's like, I want the Astros to win just to shut everybody up so that, hey, <laughs> we all steal signs, you know, and this is part of baseball. Yeah, that, that would have been, I agree with, I actually appreciate the story. I know that Astro fans will definitely appreciate that story because I think there were a lot of people internally who had, who have played the game at a high level, whether it be college, minor league, profe you know, professionally, big league, whatever, that you are looking for an advantage. If you're not trying to get the advantage, you're not trying to win. And that's where baseball is a little, you know, culpable in what they enabled some of these guys to do or take advantage of was the technology making its way into the dugout and into the video rooms in real time. So there, there's a lot of issues in that sense. And, but at the same time, when I hear, you know, Jeff Luno, you know, say, you know, he, you know, I don't understand why people are so mad at me, but at the same time, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And then I think I read an article in uh, the wall street journal about the science stealing scandal. And there were, well, there was a particular um, opportunity for somebody, an intern to make a presentation to the nerd herd that was running the ops for, for uh, Jeff Luno and the Astros. And guess what it was called? It was called code breaking. So there was actually somebody came up with an algorithm that said, I'm going to try and crack the code of the opponent's signs so that we can figure them out and use them to our advantage. Now, he allowed that to happen 
but he didn't, this is where it gets kind of gray or sketchy yeah. for me is you allow that conversation to be had. How did you think it was going to be used? Did you think they were just going to stop and review the tape every night? Or did you actually really think that it wouldn't start to evolve into real time sign stealing? That's where I get kind of like, oh, yeah. yeah. And this again is kind of the unwritten rules of baseball, which cracks me up because my buddy that was all fired up, if you think about it, right, what's the, um, the uh impetus for this or what's the what's the next step for it and i think i'm not absolving the astros or any other teams red sox yankees that have kind of been proven to have cheated i'm just saying hey look steroids became part of baseball uh it wasn't illegal in baseball it was illegal in society and some guys kind of skirted the rules and figured it out and you know it became a movement, but before it was a movement, it was guys just trying to push the envelope a little bit. And I really believe that's what happened here. But to your point, yeah, if you're, if you're sitting in on a code breaking presentation, um, let's be a CEO of a company and you have that five-year plan. Like what do you think is going to happen when they say, all right, we've got this all figured out. Finally, it took us three months. So we got to figure it out. You're going to review it every night. And then only the guy on second base, when the catcher's giving the signs is now relaying the signs of the hitter. It doesn't work like that. And so I think, again, it's that stop sign. Like where's the stop sign and who's going to put yeah. the stop sign up? And I think that's where this is refreshing my memory because the Luno conversation seems to have been, you know, nine months ago, which it probably was, is, you know, the buck stops here, right? He's the boss. So we can mm -hmm. talk about 22,000 text messages that he wasn't a part of. He can deny being in a code breaking meeting um, or ever receiving that spreadsheet or that PowerPoint. But the bottom line is you got to know what's going on in your watch. And I think that that's where I was a little dicey on the ethics of it. It's like, look, yeah. Jeff, you may not have known all this stuff. You may not even been privy to it or part of the clubhouse stuff, but guess what? I mean, you, you, you got to say, I love these guys to death, but they made a mistake or whatever it is that he has mm -hmm. to say to at least, you know, make it more believable. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to sit there and go, oh, I regret not doing more. That, that, that's pretty hard because it's pretty obvious. But yeah, and uh, why, wouldn't, why would you have done more if you didn't know what was going on, right? Like, oh, I yeah. should have done more. It's like, uh, well, yeah, that means you knew something was going on then, right? I don't know. That, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yes, you are very right. <laughs> and you know what else is very interesting about how Tuttle thinks? We're always on the edge of our seat wondering oh, what gosh. the hell Tuttle will say, man. What'll Tuttle say? Hey, I, you know, this is a silly one. I, I hate to uh, downplay yeah, we need it. Silly. I, uh, this, is a, this is a left turn. But I just realized this week, and, and I did write some notes on it, very few notes, but I just realized this week my daughter is 11 and she's going to start playing some club soccer. And I just realized she's finally at the age where she's going to get real coaching in sports. And it's like, <laughs> yes, like I'm not coaching her soccer team anymore. Yeah. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Cause I know all your daughters play volleyball and they've played other sports as well, but it cracks me up because I felt like, Oh, somebody's got a chainsaw going. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Always for what'll Tuttle say something yeah. going on outside. You're over there chopping it up. Yeah. Chopping <laughs> it up. Anyway, just really interesting because, you know, I'm more of the guy who I always thought anyway, like mindset, like nobody wants, you know, a 50 year old guy coaching a nine year old girl, how to play soccer. Like I know mm -hmm. a little bit about soccer, but I've always been a mentality guy, but I just realized like, as we signed up for club, this guy ran a practice that was so dialed in. I'm like, that is a coach. Like <laughs> with the, the stuff that me and the neighbor guy have been doing for the past few years is not coaching. Yeah. Now, again, I've always felt like coaching the mentality is like, Hey, when somebody trips, you get back up and keep playing. 
somebody elbows you, you got to like lean into them and shove them back. Like I'm okay with the mindset coaching part, yeah. but the tactics and you know, the strategy and all that, like, please leave that to somebody else. And finally my kids are getting old <laughs> enough where I do not have to coach them. And I'm, you know, it's, it's not even bittersweet. It's kind of like, finally, I got to that oh, stage yeah. where, you know, now I can just be a fan. I might have to sneak a cooler or something over to the, to the game, mm. put my feet up and uh, just encourage her and root her on. So, yeah, no, I think you would agree with this too, is that I felt like as an athlete, when I turned 12, all of a sudden I was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, but there was something upstairs that kind of clicked. And I was like, Oh, that's what coach has been talking about, you know, and obviously I was blessed with good coaching when I was young because I had Mike Sweeney, uh, Mike Sweeney's dad who played, uh, you know, Mike Sweeney played in the big leagues for 14 years. I got to play in 14, but we had good leadership and we, but, but it wasn't until we were like 12 where we kind of went, Hey man, you're good. And then he looked at me and goes, you're good. And we're like, your dad's really smart. And then all of a sudden we're putting these two, you know, the puzzles coming together and we're like, boom, boom. And we're like, that other team sucks, you know, and all of a sudden you start dominating and you're like, this is what we've been waiting for. But I think it's really that 12 to 15 age. Cause watching my daughters in volleyball, cause I know nothing about volleyball um, other than what I perceive or what I ask them. And they explain to me, but you start to see that you start to see the athlete kind of separate itself and go into the mentality like you're talking about, because I'm the same way. My daughters will come to me and talk to me about the, you know, some of the mental parts of the game and getting through the adversity. And that's kind of what I pride myself on because I'm not a technique or a fundamental. I understand what they are, but I'm not, I'm not good at coaching the techniques of the fundamentals. I'm good about getting your mind right and trying to perform in that certain situation. So it's kind of a blend of both those, but I really felt like that 12 to 15 age is where I turned and now seeing my daughters now getting into that 15, 16 year old age is like, oh, okay, now they start to get it. The hand is moving a little bit better. Their platform is better. They're in the right position. Like you start to understand angles. You start to understand finesse or aggressiveness in certain situations. But if you have a good coach that is actually able to instill the fundamentals on top of the ideas that they're creating in their mind and how to use them, I think that that makes them so much better. And I'm with you in the sense that if there is that that coach between that 12 to 15 age range that is able to go in there and get them to think and get them to move right, bonus. Yeah. You know, I, I think you just nailed it and I hadn't thought about it. I did write down a few things, but the 12 to 15 is right. Yeah, I think you hit the, I mean, I played on a really good little, little league team in Connecticut and we won state championship at 11, wow. came like four games away from going to Williamsport. We won the state championship at 12. Um, and we came like five games from going back to Williamsport. Um, they went to Williamsport when I was an alternate 11, 12. And then when I was 13, we won the state championship. Now the Connecticut is a lot smaller than California, believe me. Yeah, but and I look back though. at that team out of <laughs> like, you know, 15, 17 guys on the all-star team. I think two of us made it to pro ball and I was a catcher back then. I wasn't a pitcher. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows, but you and Sweeney playing together. No, I, I didn't realize. So I know you played with Mark Sweeney for a long time, but I didn't know Mike Sweeney was what your guy growing up and Mike Sweeney, yeah. man, I played against that guy in a ball. I'm sure. I didn't know where that guy came from. And he was, that Royals team was a powerhouse, but he was a monster, man. That guy, he was something else. And the fact that you played with him, I would not want to face it to you guys oh, in high man. school or, or younger than that. But I think 12 is kind mm -hmm. of the age, like where, you run the little league, you're like, yeah, I got a lot of confidence because you could start hitting home runs and you could kind of in instill your will. And then the yeah. next stage up, 13, 14 is when you were like, you had all this confidence as a 12-year-old, but now you're playing on a big field and there's some bigger, stronger guys. And 
that was a really big, like you said, a growth time. So the confidence and the ability was there at 12. And that kind of got you over this hump to go, oh, yeah, I feel I, this is something I, I'm going to still do. But as you said, now that coach in there, and I love watching soccer and figuring out the strategy, but watching, think about us giving like hitting or pitching instruction when we've been doing it for 20 years, which is why mm -hmm. we've been on this podcast. Like people will listen to the podcast and go, wow, that was really insightful. It's just because it's part of what we've been doing for so long. So if you think about that from your kids, youth coaches, mm -hmm. like this soccer coach, that's a club guy. Like, I mean, he like eats, bleeds, sleeps, you know, lives soccer. And it's amazing to watch him run a practice and I can already see the incremental growth. And so what I want my daughter to do is gain some confidence. And, yeah. you know, like you said, th these are the formative years and not have to have me say anything except, hey, you know, this is what you want to do in that situation or this is what you should be thinking about. And mm -hmm. so, like you said, you're not inept watching volleyball. You're not like, duh, but you yeah. can get it. But you start learning through osmosis and you're like, okay, and then we can coach the mentality or discuss the mentality with the kids that, yes, it translates to sports, but we've talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. I mean, this is about life, life skills, right? Get knocked down, get back up again. So I think this is when the good parenting comes in kind of married to the coach part. And, you know, like yeah. I said, for what will Tuttle say, the revelation this week was, yes, my daughter's finally <laughs> outgrowing the, the dad coach. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to make a point of emphasis that later on when the season ends, I want to have a conversation with you because club sports is, is a predominant thing for everybody across the country in every sport. And uh, I want to get into a little bit of the mind of, of the, the, the high school athlete because I've got four of them right now and we're kind of going through a little bit of something, but uh, it's something that's piqued yeah. my interest and in, much like it did for you for what I'll tell say, but I'll bring it up later and maybe we can have an expanded conversation about it. Um, right. And it'd be a lot of fun. All right. So following up what will Tuttle say is my favorite segment. And you teased it earlier. It is now time for Blum's Blast. Oh, he's got the tight shirt. And this is where it happens. Blum's oh. Blast right here. You're what you're witnessing. <laughs> the rivalry that we are creating right now between the bangers, my fantasy football team against Prestige Worldwide, which is Tuttle's team. This is the matchup we've been waiting for all season. We match up. I am the number one team in all of our fantasy football league. Number seven is Prestige Worldwide. You had a tough loss this week, and I've got like 19 guys on a bye week, and I'm trying to fill a roster. Bring it. That's right. So this is what this is what I care about. This is the week that we've built up everything. This is why I put my lineup together. I get to play you on the week when all your good players are on a bye. And this is my season. I'm two and three. You're five and one. If I win this week, I don't care if I lose the rest of the games. This is bragging rights for the rest of the season. It's funny you say that because I have a oh the Emmy. We're playing for we're playing for the Emmy. <laughs> Uh, we gotta we gotta come up with uh, like we gotta build one of those like fantasy football trophies or the sticker do. that goes back and forth an axe like yeah. here's the axe you there want you it go. this year. Um, but it, but what's funny about it is last week my guys were all on a buy and I almost won in the other league you this last weekend I got hosed in this league I lost ninety seven point six two to ninety seven point three zero. I mean, what? and that was Tyreek Hill got like zero points, you know. How does that happen for Tyreek Hill with Mahomes? I mean, I, I don't know. there's so many things that yeah. happen. I'm just like, what? Yeah. I mean, well, Hilaire and Kelsey. I mean, what what can you say? So anyway, no. this throw the records out the, out the window this week. 
Blum's Blast is right on the money. This is Prestige Worldwide versus the Bangers, and we're going to see who brings the noise. That's right. Bring it. Who's the, who's going to be your quarterback? I waiver wired everybody off the waiver wire. Dude, I had Tannehill last week, and he got me like twenty nine points. Who thought? Oh, dude. So you're going? What? Who are you going with this week? You're going to ride the hot hand, or is he? I got to see who they're playing because I actually I dropped Wentz, and obviously Dak Prescott. Um, who's still leading in passing yards, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's still leading the league in yeah. passing yards, and he didn't even play last yeah. week. Yeah. Well, but uh, who did I pick up? I got rid of Wentz. He was driving me nuts. I, I got Tannehill and uh, L.A. guy, Herbert. I got uh, Herbert. I got to uh, see who they're playing. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. He's kind of, and they always play from behind anyway, so they're bombing away. So Just when since we're playing each other before the game start just text me and i'll tell you which guy to play <laughs> well that, i mean that was okay the last couple of years when we talked to each other trying to figure out who That's to play right. because we were no, no, co-gms just, now we're like Ugh. keep the oh. habit keep the habit yeah, yeah here we go but it's bitter rivalry bitter bitter <laughs> that's easy for me to say bitter it's too much coffee now bitter rivalry week and uh, like yeah. I said, for me, it's all the marbles. I can lose the rest of the games, but I got to win this week. All right. So game on. That was a very good show for us. We greatly appreciate everybody sticking with us, and we will keep you updated. Enjoy the World Series. Uh, we will get back to you probably next week. Hopefully the World Series isn't over by then. Maybe we're seeing a game six or seven at that point. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I'm watching it. Probably not as intently as I would if the Astros were there. But uh, – um, I will be continuing to watch. So make sure you follow Tuttle and I on uh, Instagram and Twitter. He's real David Tuttle and I am Blummer27 on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can go to bleacherblums.com and check out our swagalicious new shirts because we're on the campaign trail to uh, brighten the world and bring a little more of a thought process to the games and have some fun. And uh, Crush City Tees, we appreciate them for making our T-shirts. I also appreciate my printer going nuts with my kids at home from school today, which is fantastic. It's always nice to have the background noise. Uh, JustGeekIt.com has done a phenomenal job with our website, so continue to check it out, BleacherBlums.com. And, of course, you are watching this on the Social Nostra Network. Tuttle, finish this off, man. Don't tell anybody. But I'm watching the World Series as homework. I told my wife it's homework. I have a podcast, comes <laughs> nice. out once a week. So yeah, no, I'm with you, man. That's I'm watching awesome. the little World Series, probably not as intent as intensely or intently as I would. Uh, but you know, if we're gonna have this podcast and talk about family and sports and you know real world things, then we might as well uh, turn on the TV every night at five o'clock here in uh, California. Come on in. Yep. Come on in and ladies and gentlemen, Mia Blum. Mia Blom on the podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we want to thank uh, our first responders, um, military around the world, and um, our. Uh, oh, she's got an Emmy. There you yeah, go. She's, yeah, she's, she's, she's good at. It. There you go. She walks away. You do all the work, and she carries the awards. There you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's great. How about that? I mean, how can. I, how can I can, how can I top that? I don't know. So first responders, military, and uh, frontline uh, healthcare workers, please uh, know that we're thinking about you. And um, oh, that was a great touch of the opening of the World Series, by the way. The four people they had. Did you see that at the beginning? Oh yes, it was. Yep. Yeah. So again, baseball is thinking about you too. So yeah. that's all I got, Jeff. Yep. We appreciate everybody who is out there keeping us safe. 
keeping us dialed in and uh, keeping this uh, country moving forward. And uh, some interesting times ahead, both uh, on the field and off the field. But we are done here in the bleachers, so we're going to tell everybody to get the heck out of here. Enjoy your week. And during this week, we want you to get after it. Most of all, believe it. <laughs>